Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. My name is Matt Breskin. I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action of Wisconsin. And welcome to another cozy week from blustery, wintry Wisconsin. We have our full panel, which means Claire Zauke, our Healthcare Director, is with us. Claire, great to have you. Oh, thanks. Great to be here, Matt. Absolutely. It's a balmy, oh, maybe five degrees out here in Milwaukee. <laughs> that means Robert Craig is uh, definitely toasty at home, I'm hoping, and not outdoors. Robert, good to have you. No, I'm not outdoors right now, but I'm trying to become a better Wisconsinite. Maybe I will do the, do Battleground Wisconsin from outside in five-degree weather or 10, 10 degree below wind chill the first thing this morning, I know. Uh, that would be better Wisconsin practice. Well, maybe you could uh, do the show snowshoeing with Senator Jeff Smith. With that, though, folks, we got to get this uh, winterized Battleground Wisconsin show going. Um, folks, we are, look, we remain still in the middle of the COVID winter. Uh, and it, that winter is the Omicron variant. Uh, one of the big news this week is Omicron is now 100% of our test cases. Delta is essentially gone. Uh, we broke all kinds of records in the last week um, with testing testing levels. Um, and Claire, I want to get your thoughts. Now, while testing levels are certainly still high, our hospitalization rate, which hit record levels, we talked about that on a previous show, um, is finally starting to go down. But we remain, all of our counties still at high, very extraordinarily high levels of of, of COVID. And, and then the one piece of news I want to get your comment on too is city of Milwaukee is bringing back a mask mandate that uh, is certainly of news. Claire, your thoughts on where we are here in this Omicron COVID world. I, I don't want to belabor this point too much because I feel like we're saying the same thing, <clears throat> excuse me, over and over again every week. <laughs> but uh, Omicron, like you say, is the dominant strain right now. It is uh, more contagious than previous variants by um, a, a factor of, of a lot. <laughs> um, and so we need to be on our guard about um, how we're behaving and how we're protecting ourselves from infection. Um, to give you some context about how high these numbers are, the biggest spike that we had in COVID uh, prior to sort of this, this current wave um, was, if you remember back in the fall of the early winter, late fall of 2020, um, and we were at that time looking at something like 7,800 new cases a day. Um, so just under 8,000 new cases a day, which at that time felt astronomically high. Um, but we have been consistently in the now double, uh, um, I was gonna say double digits, but the, the double digit thousands um, of, of new cases since Omicron took over, right? So um, DHS, for example, on January 16th reported, and this number blows my mind, so I feel like this is a, like a data backlog issue, but they reported 38,000 new cases confirmed um, of COVID, um, but like we're hovering more so around 20,000, 18,000, 13,000 um, new daily cases that um, state DHS is reporting. So 
my point is you may you may hear some talk about how Omicron is leveling off. It's important to remember not just that it, it might be leveling off soon, but the the how high the plateau is at which it is leveling. Um, so leveling does not mean that it's that it's down. Um, it just means that we may have like reached the point where hopefully the numbers won't continue to go up, that we'll hover at this level for a while before it goes back down. But it's just so much higher than it's ever been that it it almost feels like it might be hard to con- conceptualize it. Um, so so don't don't create a false equivalency of of maybe hitting the peak, maybe plateauing with feeling like things are safe again, because it means like, no, 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 we're at we're at the highest point and it's much higher than it's ever been. Well, I, I think to put a point on that politics, we've talked throughout. It's been very challenging to get a proper public response and the city of Milwaukee this week. It looks like um, the uh, interim mayor, Chevy Johnson, is going to sign it, uh, it now has a mask ordinance that's coming back. So. Uh, that gives you an indication of just how serious this is. It's been challenging to get any political body to respond properly with some basic public health. Uh, Robert, real quick, your any your thoughts, and then Claire, any additional thoughts before we move on, but just on COVID and, and it, any thoughts on the Milwaukee ordinance? Look, we've had too many politicians on the Republican side trying to exploit misinformation and upset about COVID safety restrictions. We have too many Democrats, I mean, lawmakers, terrified of the loud minority that is acting on the big lies from Fox News and, and, and right-wing social media, et cetera. And so it's very minimal. It's not even, there's not even very much enforcement of this mass mandate, but you really do have to send a message. And I think we as progressives, think about the value. Let's, the idea that you have a right to spread a deadly disease is outrageous and violates every concept of freedom we've had throughout American history. This is very new. And the number of people, even Democrats, running around without masks in grocery stores and other places, please, whatever inconvenience that is, pales in comparison to what happens if you infect someone. And I'm seeing, you know, in grocery stores, I saw two different senior citizens without masks in electric wheelchairs, you know, the, the grocery store provides, they can save riding around. It's like, it's just, people are killing them with this misinformation, but we've just got to set a standard. I think we've learned that uh, humans are like wolves. If there's poor leadership or divided leadership, they'll just do whatever. And we, in past pandemics, past public health crises throughout the first two centuries of American history, we were able to act in a unified way. It's the modern right wing that has decided that divide and conquer is so great, it apply, can apply to anything, even a global pandemic. Yeah, no, it look, shout out to all the Milwaukee electeds who, who passed this and the leadership to get it passed. Um, it's the right thing to do. Um, we could talk about what more should be being done, but it's important. And masking is a really important fundamental the other big thing is is vaccination. And look, let's be honest, in Milwaukee, we still have very low vaccination rates in certain communities. And so the mask ordinance and masking and doing some of these kinds of other uh, preventive measures are extraordinarily helpful. I um, just wanted to mention, of course, it wouldn't be a week without our United States Senator Ron Johnson uh, just continuing to prove 
that uh, he <laughs> there that he is playing to this uh, Trump and QAnon type base. Uh, he's bringing together a panel uh, of COVID nineteen vaccine skeptics and people who've been promoting these unproven medications like ivermectin uh, together uh, in D.C. Again, just more drawing attention to Robert. You mentioned it also as bad public public, you know, decisions and public officials taking advantage of this situation. Um, just, you know, it's basically more of the same from Ron Johnson on, on this stuff. Uh, he was also blasting and I just, just throw this open because uh, I think it's important to the great society um, and talking about it being responsible for all the ills uh, that we quote face and particularly out of a quote, he uses the term out of wedlock marriage uh, when the great society, as we know, is one of the was one of the more important things to actually reducing poverty in this country. Um, Robert or Claire, just any any final thoughts on covid or Ron Johnson before we have to go to break? Yeah, let me just say, by the way, because you're all opinion leaders. Vaccines aren't supposed to prevent any infection. They're supposed to prevent serious illness. So do not believe Ron Johnson and Tucker Carlson and the rest that the fact that there are breakthrough infections means the, the vaccines are wor or don't work and everyone's lying to us or that Anthony Fauci is a serial killer, all the rest of it. But I just say this. I'm sure Claire could give a point-by-point -point refutation of Ron Johnson's latest claims and do it after this forum. I think progressives who are very fact-based need to get over the fact that that moves the ball, okay? The reason conspiracies work, and we've had conspiracy theories that have been powerful throughout American history, because they're a simple causal explanation for things that, that upset people, and they're an alternative way to see it so you don't really face the hard choices, like we need to vaccinate, we need to wear masks, etc. We need to actually uh, vaccinate the world because you have something else that's either a fake or someone's doing something wrong with it, or there's another cure they're not telling us about, et cetera. And what's interesting about the modern Republican Party is people have damaged themselves, lots of people, taking ivermectin, which is a, which is a drug for, for, to, to deworm cows and horses, okay? But it's not every Republican or all of them, but they still will vote for these candidates. Why? Uh, because, and this is always true with major parties where they're, they're divergent positions, they still vote against the Democrats because they hate Democrats worse. And so we need to understand that Johnson's strategy may be very effective in revving up a certain base without losing the rest of the Republican base. So the idea he's a nut and he can never be reelected, just misguided. We've got to beat him straight up and assume this is Trump-like, and Trump was very effective at getting turnout. And with that, folks, we have got to take our first break. You're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin, where Citizen Action. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin, where Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Folks, it is the one-year anniversary of uh, President Biden's administration, and we're going to jump into a deep conversation on that. But before we do, I want to just finish off our Wisconsin little piece uh, that we were talking about. Robert, you wanted to mention something about Josh Call as it relates to the ongoing conversation we've been having about the complete sham investigation circus. Don't know what you want to call it. 
that uh, Gableman, Michael Gableman, has uh, been uh, doing on behalf of the uh, legislative Republicans. Just a quick comment on Josh Call and the circus this week before we dive into our deeper conversation. I think uh, Rachel Maddow calls it a clown car, which is as good as any. And as Wisconsin Republicans continue to humiliate Wisconsin and make us look like rubes and, and morons and conspiracy theorists, as Ron Johnson does. But let me just say, I mentioned on COVID, Democratic politicians knowing what's right and then not standing up for what's right, not taking a risk. And why do you run for office if you're not going to try to save lives in the pandemic, right? Even if it costs you your seat or your, your, your post. But I would just say that it is striking. We now know the first revelations were about Wisconsin, that seven different states sent in fake electors that were certified. Five of the seven were fraudulently claimed to be the electors. Two, they lost their nerve, Pennsylvania, New Mexico, and they said they should be, but they're not, something like that. Wisconsin's one of them. It was a secret meeting at the same time the actual um, electors were certified by the because because Joe Biden won Wisconsin. It was sealed, certified, notarized, sent to the National Archives in Congress as if real. And it appears the whole strategy here was coordinated by the Trump campaign. So if they could get Pence to not recognize the election, then they'd have competing electors, which is exactly what happened in the crisis of 1876. Uh, that, uh, that actually led to the uh, end of Reconstruction. So this has happened before in American history. It's what caused the current Electoral Count Act. And the question is, it's clear fraud. It's clear forgery, right? Where is the investigation? Where's the prosecution? We've been bringing this up in Battleground, Wisconsin. Well, now Michigan Attorney General has referred it to the U.S. Attorney General for prosecution and says if they don't do it, she will, but she thinks it's a, that federal has broader reach. And... Uh, well, New Mexico and, and New Mexico has done the same, and Nevada is apparently looking into it. So my question is, where, it's sort of like where's Merrick Garland on the, the, the coup conspiracy, right? Other than the the, the the idiots that stormed the Capitol, not the people who orchestrated it and planned it, right? Like Donald Trump. But in this case, where is Josh Call? It'd be nice to know. I mean, I I think Democrats not even prosecuting clear crimes or investigating them is a huge problem we have right now and and it's also a threat to democracy and then the and the future of, of the rule of law folks we're going to talk a lot more not only about this issue but more broadly what's been going on with gableman and the continued threat to democracy uh hopefully next week but on previous shows because quite frankly it's really central to what we're facing this year. And I think it's actually the perfect backdrop for the conversation we're about to have. Um, we are going to spend the next half of this segment and next segment talking about the one year anniversary of uh, President Joe Biden's administration. He took office exactly one year ago today as we record. Um, and, you know, look, let's be honest. Uh, this is not, this has not been as successful as people had hoped. That's like the most positive spin you could put on it. There's a lot of folks who are extraordinarily angry, right? And upset and, you know, very frustrated with both the lack of progress on the voting rights legislation. And we've talked extensively given the broader real threat to democracy that uh, if we head into this fall election that um, exists in a number of states, and we've talked about its impact here in Wisconsin. Uh, and of course, build back better and the 
stalled legislation. In fact, voting rights just stalled yesterday. Um, so we're not going to try to put a shine on that, but um, it is really important to understand that there was an alternative, right? Like it's not like Biden or our dreams, it's Biden or, right? In this case, it would have been President Trump. And it's very important for us as progressives, we think, to put that in perspective and for us to, shall we say, uh, have the best facts to at least what has happened in the first year. And so I do want us to spend some time talking about some of the very real significant gains and important things that have happened this year. Let's face it, we're in the midst of a pandemic. Um, and so I think it's important for us to spend some time at least doing that, but then also have, you know, a real honest and frank conversation about sort of where we're at and what we see. Um, Claire, you're, I mean, look, we've talked a lot about the pandemic. Um, the, the, here's the reality. There were two major campaign promises that President Biden made. One was that he was going to sort of tame the pandemic, deal with the pandemic. And the other was going to restore prosperity, right, for working families in the economy. Both of those have been at the center of the struggle that he has faced. But could you at least start by talking about, from the pandemic standpoint, you, your sense of how President Biden has done, especially, right, given, you know, what the alternative could have been and where we were headed in the previous administration. Your thoughts, uh, first year of President Biden's administration. I think when we're talking about addressing the pandemic, we need to think about two different things. And one is dealing with the public health crisis of the pandemic, and the other is dealing with the economic crisis uh, that was caused by the public health crisis, right? Um, they're certainly related, uh, but I think it's important to not forget all that President Biden did very early on in his term to help deal with the economic fallout. Um, and we we just saw the the last bit of that run out this past week, right, with the child tax credit. So let's start there. Um, the child tax credit was historic. Um, and I say this as somebody who does not have children. <laughs> um, I had some friends who were like, what about me? I want to check every month. <laughs> and I was like, look, uh, we need to think of ourselves as part of a community, not just as individual households. And when our neighbors who have children and children are expensive, uh, um, when they are when they are struggling, like we all feel the ripple effect of that. And so the child tax credit, it, its historic nature as being a tax credit that was doled out over the course of the year and not just applied at the end of the year when you file your tax credit, um, was a really important economic boost for lots of our neighbors. And we should be I'm really proud that President Biden did that and grateful um, that our community got that infusion of cash over the past several months because it lifted something like 40% of um, Wisconsin children out of poverty. I mean, it was just an astronomical, uh, an astronomical number of uh, families were, were helped by that. I think it was a million uh, Wisconsin children who benefited from the child tax credit. Um, uh, and, and, and cut child poverty by 40%. Um, it's just a, uh, it is a legacy that 
that the president should be proud of and, and that we should all be, be glad happened. And, and clearly a path that was not going to happen under the other administration. R- Robert, Robert, you're, before we go to break, your, your immediate thoughts. Look, President Biden inherited a terrible situation and a shockingly narrow majority where he can only govern by getting all 50 Democratic votes. Nothing Franklin L. Roosevelt or Lyndon Baines Johnson had to deal with. And so, and has come out very bold, has moved progressive, way progressive for his career, made common ground with the rising progressive wing of the party, very unlike state Democrats, in my opinion, as we've talked about. And he, the problem is our disappointment that he so far hasn't gotten big chunks of Build Back Better is taken away and, and really is a threat to all of us from what the accomplishments we've already received. The American Rescue Plan was, quite frankly, the, the boldest rescue plan in a major crisis in American history. It was faster money and more effective than anything FDR did in the first four months or so of his administration, actually. And LBJ, the other big transformational president, didn't face an economic crisis, neither did Woodrow Wilson. And and then, uh, you know, we, we're very, we progressives are sore about Manchin's bait and switch on the bipartisan, bipartisan infrastructure plan. So we don't talk about it as much, particularly because it probably has a negative climate impact without the other pieces. But it still created a ton of jobs and was a major accomplishment and something presidents have been talking about for over a decade and haven't received. And the magnitude of all of this, if you add it up, we can get lost in the policy. It raised wages and available income for families dramatically, the child tax credit, direct assistance, lowering uh, health care premiums under the Affordable Care Act, a whole lot of other, your income tax credit did a whole lot of things to raise wages. And that has been a crisis during good times and bad in this country. That is one of the core reasons we have, we have, we have economic inequality in this country. And now the question is whether you can make much of this permanent, which we need to keep fighting for it and we can still get chunks of. But we need to take stock that this has been an incredibly bold president. And while he has not fully succeeded, he has accomplished quite a bit. Folks, we got to take our next break. We're going to continue this discussion. You're listening to The Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. You can find us on Twitter. We're on Instagram. We're very active on Facebook. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Battleground, Wisconsin. We're talking about the one-year anniversary of the Biden administration. Um, before I go back, and I do, I do think it's important for us to continue talking about some of the very real things that have happened, and also what is still out there, like around you know the Build Back Better agenda and pieces of that that still are likely to potentially move, but. I spent some time in preparation for the show thinking about this because I admit, right, like I get caught up in what Robert just mentioned, right? The frustration of the things that we really, that are deeply passionate priorities for us. But I want to put this in a broader perspective because I think this is what's super important for us to be thinking about in 2022. And we're going to talk a lot more about on the show. And it's the reality of the Biden presidency and the reality of the world we face. We Biden was actually right on when he took office a a year ago. He said, you know what? His his election was not the triumph of a candidate, but of a cause. 
and the cause was democracy. And we cannot forget that the broader state we're in right now is democracy is in peril. It's in threat. What happened on January 6th is not something that we should not that we should just sort of ignore and head into an election cycle like, oh, this is just another traditional off year election. It is what this election is about. It is why President Biden actually did win. There was a, a people felt that real threat to democracy. We all as progressives had hoped that many of, quote, the campaign promises and the things that that was what we were going to get. Unfortunately, we we have a deeper understanding of Joe Manchin and cinema. We have a lot of work to do this year in order to actually win a fight about those ideals and have it be broader than just, quote, the threat or cause to democracy, which is that's what this majority appears to be right now. And I do know that I think that that is something that is a governing majority and can win this election because, you know, there's a lot of good research out there that a lot of the folks that have moved away from Trump, they've they still feel January 6th is a is a huge threat and hasn't been solved. And so it's very important for us to understand that, that we can't get lost in our frustration over you know, this progressive vision that hasn't has, let's just be blunt, hasn't happened uh, yet. What what is the reality? And we're going to talk more about it is this constant threat to democracy. So I do want to throw send it back to our panel to talk more about these, both this broader threat, but also the campaign promises, right? And still the success that has been made in taming the pandemic, or shall we say, restoring prosperity or fighting against that. Um, Robert, I know you had a few more of these numbers and the specific impact and also what's potentially at stake. Um, this is just important for us to still be aware of, you know, the success of what has happened. And I don't, we progressives over rely on numbers like they persuade people who are unpersuaded, but just magnitude. I mean, and I, I see all these as ways to improve the economic position of working families during an economic crisis and a pandemic. And then you do that long term. These are things, many, that need to be continued. Uh, 2.9 million Wisconsinites got up to $1,400 in direct payment. 46,000 jobs were created because of the massive investments uh, that have passed. One million children benefited from the child tax credit, reducing child poverty a record 40%. Uh, on average, Wisconsin wages increased 52 cents per hour. We've rarely had wage increases. We've had stagnation for 40 years. Health insurance premiums, if you were had a family of four buying uh, marketplace coverage under the Affordable Care Act, you would save $611 per month. Now, the way to understand this is, okay, that helps. What does it mean? When people have money in their pockets, they can avoid things like evictions, right? And, avo and, av and avoid uh, utility cutoffs and avoid all the other uh, you know, food scarcity, et cetera. But they also, particularly people who have children, but everyone who's, who's working, working class or a working person, they spend money in the community and create more jobs for other people and more prosperity. And there are all these business owners who are Republican who think somehow this had nothing to do with government and democracy. And uh, frankly, they're so ideologically, they don't care that, in fact, their small business might have gone out of business if it wasn't for these massive investments that came from Democrats over complete Republican opposition. But then I, I'm going to pause so there's more give and take, Matt, but I do think we need to bear in mind that elements of Build Back Better can still pass and have to pass, and we can't demobilize on that. But I'm going to pause because 
your frame was what has been accomplished now so far, not what still can be this year. Yeah, no. And I want to give Claire an opportunity to talk more about that. And, and if particularly also from the scope of the pandemic, right? Like, you know, just, I mean, look, we've been in some ways trying to be sharp in terms of calling where we think there are mistakes, but let's be clear about the way this pandemic was handled was, is fundamentally different than what it was doing under the previous administration. Claire. You know, I said at the uh, beginning of my remarks in the previous segment that I think it's important to think about the way the president has addressed the pandemic from two directions or two points of view. And one is the economic and one is the health, excuse me. And I think, you know, we've talked a great deal about the uh, economic side. So um, we talked about the child tax credit a bunch. Robert talked about wages increasing, um, albeit certainly not as much as we would like them to, although we know that's not entirely within the president's control. Um, we talked about the um, infrastructure uh, investment that'll bring an influx of cash into the state. But from the, the public health perspective, I think there's two things that I think about a lot. Um, And the first is how aggressive the president came out with the vaccine rollout. And, uh, you know, we may be critical, and I think rightfully so, of the uh, sort of the totality of the federal government's response to the global pandemic, especially when it comes to intellectual uh, property rights, quote unquote, um, of pharmaceutical companies for the vaccine and the um, president not really moving fast enough to or pushing the administration and Congress enough to um, get those patents to other countries so they can produce their own vaccines. I think that's fair. Um, but when we look at what's happened here in the United States, the president set really aggressive goals for rolling out the vaccines to people in the United States and by and large met those goals um, and has been, you know, pushing boosters for folks. Um, I think the vaccine rollout um, actually went incredibly smoothly in this country. Um, I'm thinking about all the federal resources that were deployed across the country, right? Like here in Milwaukee, for example, I got my my first round of vaccine uh, shots at a FEMA operated site in the middle of the city. And there were sites like that all over the country. And there's no way that those max vaccination clinics could have happened without um, strong direction and support from the president deploying all of those uh, resources simultaneously. The uh, second thing that I think is important um, that we have kind of begun to take for granted because of uh, the fact that Trump isn't in office anymore is that we don't have a president who is on Twitter or on Facebook or at the podium at the White House um, saying things like, I don't know, you just drink bleach and see what happens, uh, right? Like we we have a little bit of that with Ron Johnson here, um, but, but we have a president who is giving very clear direction to uh, folks in his administration that like they're gonna, they're gonna send out scientifically backed information. Uh, we may be frustrated with some of the way the CDC operates is updating their guidelines, um, but that is nothing compared to how frustrated we would be if we had a president uh, like the last one in office, just spreading massive amounts of disinformation from the bully pulpit. Robert, you get the last word on this. I don't think 
and I'm to the left of President Biden and have some plenty of frustrations. I think to become an effective progressive movement, we got to get much more real about the situation this man has faced. And I hear far too much on the left, if he just done this, if he just done that, you know what? You do not have a way to have gotten it through mansion cinema, if you may think you do. That's just an easy way out to not cope with the fact that we don't have enough power or that we didn't mobilize enough to, even though we tried like heck around the country to overcome mansion cinema, or this is something we're not talking about enough. They're big. The biggest corporations in the country through their lobbying are behind mansion and cinema. They're standing behind them. They're the ones who want to filibuster because they're the ones who don't want anything like take pharmaceutical industry, the government to use its leverage to get physician drug prices to a fair level and to end the price gouging. That's what's going on. And even progressive media, except for really good magazines, so I'm not, I'm talking about CNN, MSNBC, or just making about personalities. So let's get over that. Like on the pandemic, plenty of mistakes, but also this is a wily disease that keeps surprising us. So to some degree, it would have surprised anyone. They, as Claire said, they did a lot. Every, we need to make it visible. Like if you easily got a vaccine uh, vaccination, that is, that is something that this administration accomplished. Remember the previous president, the currently angry uh, in denial that he lost man in Florida, um, actually had no plan for distribution whatsoever. Zero. They hadn't done anything because they don't govern modern Republicans and they haven't for decades. And so we just need to get behind. We need to get as much more as we can. And then we need to like this needs to be the election mobilization, you know, from, you know, that compares to the Normandy invasion. And in Wisconsin, we're one of the places we could pick up a Senate seat and have a majority that would pass a much bolder agenda and start to, to end the Jim Crow filibuster, which is something corporate America wants, not just some man in West Virginia who has a weird philosophy that's unreal, Joe Manchin. There's money behind it and interest behind it, folks. So let's get serious and keep our eye on the ball and stop blaming the president for this because he is still standing with progressives and still fighting. With that, folks, we got to take our final break of the show. When we come back, we are very fortunate. We're going to be joined by Sean Pataplace, who is with the Main Street Alliance here in Wisconsin, to talk about some more awful ideas that have come out of the legislative Republicans that are not going to do any good for anybody in Wisconsin. We'll be right back. Welcome back the battleground wisconsin again we're citizen action you can find us at citizenactionwi.org we are really glad to have a guest that is sean Pettiplace. sean is with the main street alliance here in wisconsin sean thank you so much for joining us thanks matt happy to be here sean i'm thrilled to have you because i was you know reading the wisconsin examiner <laughs> this week and they had written an article about the legislative republicans efforts that they're rolling out to cut unemployment insurance cut medicaid cut food share uh, for workers and you had a phenomenal quote that talked about how this is just the wrong thing that we need for small businesses particularly in their employees but also focused on what we really need. So, Sean, could you just tell our listeners uh, what your thoughts were of this proposal and uh, what you think we really need here in Wisconsin? Yeah, and just for listeners who haven't 
uh, heard me talk before, uh, Matriot Alliance, we're a small business advocacy group here in Wisconsin. I've recently working in Minnesota, Illinois as well, and we're about 150 member businesses across the state who are working for progressive change and better policy for small business and for their staff and communities. And, you know, first off, this workforce um, set of bills that got proposed by Kapenga and a few other folks um, are just plain wrong. Uh, if you look at the unemployment rate in Wisconsin, it's hovering at about 3%, which is pretty close to full employment. Um, and there are a lot of structural issues that have led us to this point where, you know, there's a mismatch between the amount of folks who, you know, want to be hiring in this economy um, and the amount of folks who are available. And it really goes to the lack of leadership and the bad policies passed during the Walker administration and have continued uh, attempted by the current uh, legislative majority, um, not investing in infrastructure, not investing in transportation, not investing in education, not investing in healthcare. All these things have made Wisconsin a less desirable place for people to move to. And so you really are seeing the, the sort of the fruits of that labor, so to speak, uh, translate into having some of the labor shortages that we're experiencing in the state. So, you know, the prescription that they're, you know, uh, trying to sell is that we need to punish workers. We need to punish uh, folks who are just trying to get by in the pandemic uh, by stripping them of food share which would you know, impact children in our state. Um, you know, it would strip them of Medicaid eligibility, BadgerCare eligibility. It would um, also just really essentially put bad employers uh, in a position where they can force uh, employees to take on more hours and potentially jeopardize those benefits. And the reason why that doesn't make sense is, and you'll hear McIver, you'll hear the folks who are in the right wing in our state uh, scream and yell that, oh, people shouldn't be on Badger Care. They can go into private marketplace insurance. There was a McIver study put out last year when we were advocating on Badger Care expansion that an average family um, who would be in marketplace coverage, uh, you know, if they graduated essentially from Badger Care, would have a deductible of $1,750 a year. If you're making let's say 15, 16, $17,000 a year, you can't afford that deductible. That insurance basically won't do anything to help you and your family. And so it's incredibly disingenuous and dishonest to say that we should just kick people off these benefits. There's other things available to them when in fact, there's often many good reasons why people are in the position they're at. So instead of cutting these programs and punishing these workers, what we should do is help to lift all boats. And one of the best ways we can do that is by expanding Badger Care. I'm so glad that your voice and Mainstream Alliance's voice exists uh, here in our state because without it, I think we wouldn't we wouldn't hear any anything talking about how like what businesses need except for except for these you know really sort of bad ideas that you've been pushing and the voices of of big businesses whose only interest is protecting their own bottom lines. Uh, and, and not caring for uh, employees or investing in our communities or anything like that. My question is, you talked about Badger Care expansion as something that the legislature could do right now to help businesses and in particular small businesses. If you could pick one other thing that you think that this um, you know, task force or that the legislature should have focused on to help your members and small businesses in Wisconsin, uh, like, like what is that thing? Child, child care. Um, that is a major barrier 
for families, both to make it economical to work. Uh, we actually have a member business up in Appleton. Uh, Yi Li Vu owns Bowl 91. It's delicious. I highly recommend it if you're on College Ave in, in Appleton sometime. She's actually having to pick up the cost of childcare for two of her employees right now in order for them to be able to retain and make it viable for them to stay in those jobs. That's a tremendous burden. I mean, that's like probably at least $2,000 a month. And, um, you know, thankfully there is a program that through the governor's leadership and others will be rolling out um, at the end of this month or early next month, which is, you know, the Department of Children and Families will help to pick up some of the cost for childcare for uh, some smaller employers. We're gonna work on that, but really one of the best things that could be done is that, you know, if we get some version of the Build Back Better budget passed that includes childcare, there's gonna be a need to approve that through the legislative process. There's gonna be some things that are gonna to have to happen at the state level. And we will push like hell to make sure that it is clear both how that would help families, but also to apply pressure on the legislature to get that done. Um, I would just say one other thing that is uh, something I think is not as well known right now. And uh, frankly, I personally believe the White House should be talking about more is in the American Rescue Plan, there was a huge increase in the credit for childcare costs for families. Um, if you are, if you have a single kid that's in childcare, the credit has increased from $3,500 a year to $8,000 a year, and it's now refundable. So if you are a family with two kids and you're paying for childcare, you potentially will get $8,000 back in taxes this year. Um, this is something that because wow. it's really early in the year, um, you know, just has simply not been talked about enough, but that is something that's going to be hugely helpful. And so making sure families and small businesses across the state know that so they do their taxes earlier so they can get that money back so they can inject that back in the economy and help with Main Street. So I would say other than badger care expansion, making critical investments in child care is the best thing we can do to help small business. Sean, that was a phenomenal answer because it fits into our previous two segments are one of the discussing the one year anniversary of Biden and the things that actually were accomplished. Thank you for pointing that out. Robert, next question. So I enjoyed your discussion of badger care versus the marketplace with Senator Kapanga concerning him and the good folks at the Kyber Institute, the fake right wing think tank. Uh, but the interesting is all those folks support uh, oppose having the Affordable Care Act marketplace. So you'll know that, they're, that they, they're trying to use something that they're against and that Democrats created. Uh, so it, they're not really serious. It's hypocrisy. And here's the challenge, I think, Sean, I want, I want your response to this. They provide a very simple causal explanation. We talked earlier about con why conspiracy theories attract people. It's a simple causal explanation that shifts blame to someone you want to blame, right? Well, that's how all this works. Ron Johnson blaming the Great Society for having children out of wedlock. You know, people like Bill Clinton promised that if we, and people who support Tommy Thompson's welfare reform, that if we got rid of, you know, the, the uh, aid to, to families with dependent children, the New Deal style program, then we take welfare reform away from the Republicans. No, they just lied that there are people sitting there getting checks and doing nothing. It's not true. And their solutions have done nothing because they're not, that wasn't the cause. You've actually made things worse. So it seems like a lot of small business owners are trotted out in the media who buy into this and think, I can't get workers at the rate I want to pay because they're getting all these benefits. We just need to take those away, right? So it's a simple, clear explanation. It blames less powerful people 
uh, for the problem rather than really looking at a situation like you did, like we need childcare in order to support people so they can work, right? We need to actually get serious about transformational uh, trainings and workers. We claim that we're near full employment and we need to start opening up immigration of skilled workers, uh, not, not folks and uh, uh, refugees in Central America, because we don't have workers when we have near 50% African-American male non-employment in Milwaukee, and they just don't have access to good jobs. They're discriminated against because many of them have been, because of mass incarceration, been thrown in jail. And they, and quite frankly, we don't get a lot of workers because certain businesses think they have a right to pay poverty wages, right? And don't, don't compete in the marketplace for the workers that do exist. So I just want kind of your reaction to how you, you just see small business owner after small business owner trotted out by the, business, the mainline business, small business associations and Republicans and the media that buy into this stuff and blame someone else for their own inability to attract workers. Yeah, I mean, it's the it's the oldest trick in the book, right? You're blame others, um, you know, point fingers and say it's not your fault and, and you know, really enable, you know, this classist racist narrative, frankly, about workers. Um, I would just point to um, there was an article. So back during the, the enhanced unemployment insurance uh, fight this last spring, um, there was uh, Klondike Cheese at the presser with, I believe it was uh, Speaker Voss and others, talking about how enhanced unemployment was causing people to not go back to work. Um, and so I did a little bit of research, and it turned out there was an article from 2017 from that same employer talking about the same issues. Um, and so it was very disingenuous by both them and the ma legislative majority to say, that because of these programs, we're having these shortages, it is much more structural. And that's why we need to have structural reforms to make it easier for family formation, to make it easier for workers to get, but to be able to pay their bills, to be able to, to make rent, to be able to pay for health, uh, to be able to get healthcare and really help to lift everyone up together. There are a lot of small business owners who agree a lot more with us on these issues. Um, then, you know, frankly, the U-Lines and the Hendricks and the folks who support organizations like WMC, they really represent the billionaire class and the large polluting manufacturers and don't really represent Main Street. And so something we've tried to do a lot this past year is to help pull back that narrative, elevate small business voices, and we look forward to continue to do that and hold these folks accountable in 22. So, hey, folks, if that sounds like you and you want to get involved with the main street alliance sean tell them what they should do if they're like wow i've got a small business i need to be involved in the main street alliance what, the, what should they do go to mainstreetalliance.org there's a lot more about us on the front page go to take action there's an action you can currently take to support build back better and we actually have a new member meeting next tuesday at 3 p.m for small business owners so um, that information is on the take action tab at mainstreetalliance.org and if you are a small business owner looking to get more involved in this fight we'd love to have you folks democracy is a participatory sport it is much more than voting if you are a small business owner get involved in the main street alliance sean thanks so much for joining us thanks so much for your leadership claire mentioned it um we think the world of y'all and you're doing and your members doing amazing work thank you thank you and thanks for all the work that says in action wisconsin does uh you're an invaluable uh partner in this fight all right folks we got to wrap this battleground wisconsin up again we want to thank sean we want to thank the main street alliance 
And we'll see you all next week here at the Battleground Wisconsin. <laughs>